So good, good afternoon, everyone. I think our retreat, <coughs> the retreat seems to go to its end, but still we are there. And I would like to again, you know, express my appreciation for the for our work or for the participation that we all contribute to contribute to in this kind of grouping and. Uh, uh, just the fact, you know, in the morning when we discuss with uh, with the small groups, I find that very interesting because uh, we have the possibility just to hear uh, some of us uh, telling their story, and then we all together, and then we see, ah, oh, this problem, the, 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 that person has that difficulty, or you know, that person has that uh, uh, discovery, or whatever it is, and then we share the our experience. I think it's, uh, it is very important and very valuable. So this afternoon I'd like to continue like I introduced the, the text of the Bujanga huh? and the Metta and some people say that well I did not cover uh, all the aspects that, uh, that are spoken to in the, in the text so just uh, uh, now I will just wrap up the what, what has not yet been uh, covered, and uh, just to mention also that uh, the that text in the Sanyutta Nikaya is going to be posted in the in the blog in the you know, in the in the drive together also like yesterday the different aspects of resentment uh, resentment uh, have been also uh, posted. So the question, you know, in regard to that text in the Sanyutta Nikaya, you also have the, 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 the reference and page number. Uh, you can read the story, but the questions that came to be uh, asked to the Buddha and that the Buddha was telling to the monks was, okay, this practice, uh, not everybody know actually how to develop it. So how to develop the practice of metta or the Brahma Uyara, what are its destination? Huh? What is the, the destination of uh, these types of practices? And then uh, what are the culmination? What is the culmination of uh, the, the practices of the Brahma Uyara? And also, what are the fruits of uh, the practice? So the explanations uh, go on with uh, starting with how it is practice. It has to be, uh, we have to deal with the entrances, first of all. So ways of uh, dealing with the entrances also require certain skills. And uh, we have different approaches with different systems. In the Buddhism, we see that uh, somehow there is a lot of uh, pedagogy and uh, the development of how to approach our difficulties as for the uh, entrances are kind of skillful. Huh? We will not uh, repeat uh, the, the procedure here. And uh, for the... For the other question, what is the destination of uh, these uh, for Brahma Uyara? So the destination somehow is the, 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 the divine abiding. That means uh, you just uh, end up with a, a very peaceful mind and a mind that is uh, divine somehow. And also we see that... Uh, it's leading to a type of mastery of perception. Hmm? But more specifically, more specifically, what is the culmination of these practices? And uh, with all of the four Brahmaviya, there is a specific uh, result. And uh, for example, when we practice metta, also huh? when we practice the loving kindness meditation, what we do actually is we try to see uh, the good qualities in people. We don't give so much importance in the faults, and uh, we just see the loving aspect of, uh, of, of beings. And by developing 
these uh, qualities and also this kind of perception, what happens is that uh, we see everything as very beautiful. Everything we look at, it comes to be very beautiful. So also if we uh, are, you know, uh, continue with that uh, development of uh, perception in regard to the beautiful, then it can become so ecstatic. And also we have the possibility with our meditation to choose the objects that will support uh, these states of mind. And uh, we can uh, use, for example, the colors. Or, of course, if we continue with beings, and so we will have in our heart, in, in our mind, all beings, and then everybody, you know, all beings are going to be seen as very beautiful. And uh, it can also be parallel with uh, other types of meditation that have uh, beautiful objects. And just to say that, you know, pra practically, I remember when I was somewhere in a meditation center in Burma in a monastery, then uh, we just, it's very amazing, these places, you have hundreds of people, you know, monastics, and then as well as lay people, whether they are uh, monks or nuns or uh, from everywhere, and then the, it's huge, it's, you have thousands of people sometimes in these places. So, in one of them, uh, I remember there was a, a kind of middle-aged monk who was the head of a monastery, and then he had come to practice. And, uh, of course, it was a break for him because monks there are kind of busy. They have responsibilities, and it's a job. So, that monk was there, and he, he was practicing. And then as he was getting into his practice, he started to really enjoy it. And uh, when like uh, where we were practicing was a kind of very systematic kind of structure of uh, teaching. So when he came to uh, to develop, you know, uh, the, systematically the the, uh, the practice of metta and all of that, then we could see him, you know, and uh, he was walking around, whatever he was doing. He, he was always smiling and beaming with light and he was like a, he was like stone, if we can say, right? And everything was was a kind of a, a miracle for him, and everything was beautiful. And then he could not, we don't, he doesn't seem to be upset with anything. So, uh, in this way, you know, we see now that uh, because we practice these types of things, we 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 have much less tendency tendency to get irritated, and then we we, we find uh, very wonderful things, you know, just by looking at anything. We see, oh, it's quite beautiful. So, metta practice loving kindness as the beautiful as its combination, mm -hmm. and uh, if it's not developed further, that means that if we just use the Brahmavira as a samatha, huh? like uh, if you just uh, condition your perception to see beings and then you are just using that as a serenity meditation, it's a conditioning of the mind and then you just use objects and you just put your mind in that, you direct the mind with that and, and you develop a kind of intensity with this and uh, then the mind is is, uh, is uplifted and then the hindrances don't bother you anymore and uh, and then you are kind you 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 can go into uh, very interesting states like a, a kind of very concentrated and it, it's very similar to mystic uh, descriptions of uh, of experiences. So. If metta is practiced, or the Brahma Vihara are practiced only with uh, uh, serenity, you know, just with that type of uh, approach, then this is where it is leading. But if uh, these practices are also combined with the Bodhanga, then the Bodhanga themselves are related to. Uh, you know, in uh, in their deeper aspect, they are related to the practice of insight. So. Uh, what happens is that uh, we are using uh, these approaches as a foundation for serenity and then to strengthen the mind, to make the mind very clear and balanced. And then from there, we turn our attention to the mind that is actually doing these uh, practices. So you get very happy and then, you know, everything is fine and uh, your objects are actually 
everything that uh, that you see uh, and uh, they are still conceptual uh, type of uh, mental presentation but uh, when you when we look at the mind that is uh, experiencing these states then this is where the insight has, uh, is coming so we look at the mind and we see the different qualities of the mind we see also that these uh, qualities and characteristics of uh, these uh, high states of mind are impermanent and uh, they are kind of uh, unsatisfactory somehow because they change and also that they, they are not self so then this is where actually a more a deeper aspect of uh, liberation can come into uh, our uh, experience or, or our practice so metta is a beautiful as its combination in some way and then compassion so when we look at the suffering of people everywhere we just see suffering and the misery and all kinds of difficulties and but with compassion that means also that the mind nevertheless has the possibility to remain balanced the mind also has the possibility to remain kind of uh, happy and uh, well together so uh, the mind gets concentrated although the objects are are difficult to handle compassion is there very strongly but when we do that and then also uh, developed it to to a very high degree like for metta and the, the other types of uh, brahmavira then the mind gets very big because you include everything in the universe eventually you start with your neighbor you start with the yogi close to you you, you start with your members of your family then you you extend your consciousness up to you know to the to the village and then the town and then uh, the country and then the continents and all of that you know and the earth and after that all universe so uh, there are kind of infinite development so when the practice of compassion seeing suffering is developed to that extent then you just see the the, the difficulties that uh, uh, inherent in life and you get kind of fed up at some point so um, what can happen to the mind is that the mind shift you're just so fed up with all of that that you tell yourself okay now it's too much and the mind goes into something that is not affected by uh, this change that uh, brings a suffering that means everything uh, that is in material, the changes are what is materiality. So everything that is material is changing and thus uh, a source of suffering. So the mind goes from perceiving materia materiality, like living beings, it's just related to matter. Also, we are uh, mind and matter. And uh, so all living beings, you know, many. Of course, you have immaterial types of beings where they don't have a body, but now we are speaking about the physical suffering mostly. Huh? Mostly, of course, uh, suffering has to do with the mind as well. But uh, when the mind gets uh, saturated with that, then the mind shifts to uh, space just enough and then space itself is a meditation subject and it's a meditation subject uh, classified as the immaterial type of uh, jhana or so so uh, so this is possible so the mind gets very big you know and then infinite and then you are so fed up the mind shift you know to space so infinite of space uh, infinity of space is uh, the culmination of the practice of compassion. When it comes to mudita, that means sympathetic joy, like you are happy to the success of people and then you rejoice uh, to see people happy. And uh, uh, that type of sympathetic joy that you develop in regard to the success of other people uh, emphasize actually uh, the, the, the happiness of uh, people and happiness is is uh, linked to consciousness so a lot of uh, importance is given to the consciousness so in the same way when you develop the infinite like uh, infinite when you develop the consciousness and your consciousness and then you include uh, all living beings in that what is 
mostly predominant is the, the happy consciousness of uh, beings. And uh, eventually, you know, of course, you can rejoice with uh, material success, but uh, it is dealing with consciousness. So what happens when uh, uh, there is a shift? So the next step that could be the top is that uh, you shift to infinite consciousness. Oh, and then this is a state of, uh, of meditation. This is a state of mind where the mind is just infinite. So you have uh, the perception of Consciousness is just infinite everywhere you are aware. Uh, and just by the way, also, uh, these uh, immaterial states of uh, meditation are also interesting in the sense that uh, it's less emotional sometimes. You know, like uh, when you develop meta, there is still kind of uh, affection and caring so a little bit of emotion same thing with compassion you suffer and then you don't suffer but uh, you see the suffering of people and then with it uh, the same thing it's a bit emotional as soon as uh, uh, it is dealing with uh, living beings but when you go to immaterial uh, experiences then nothing of nothing of that is is disturbing the mind it's just pure space or pure consciousness or just uh, very beautiful colors. So this is the difference with the immaterial states of mind. And then for the last one, what is the culmination? What is the culmination of uh, the practice of upeka, equanimity? Uh, so when the mind has developed, you know, and then you have also uh, reached uh, that state of a very stable uh, caring, uh, caring stability. So the mind is very uh, equanimous to whatever situation you see beings in. Uh, so you are equanimous in regard to that. And uh, then this is also extended to infinity. And at some point, when you are fed up to look at materiality, when you have enough saturated to uh, to look at uh, uh, living beings, then the mind can switch to uh, immaterial states. And uh, this one related to Upeka will be the state of uh, nothingness. That means you are just aware of nothing. And the name for that is Akinchanya uh, Ayatana. Ayatana is uh, the sphere. And then akinchanya, that means nothingness. And we have here a little bit of subtleties in the sense that uh, uh, nothingness is not voidness, is not emptiness as such. So uh, you have other uh, uh, description of meditation that are related to voidness, sunyata, but here it is very different. What is uh, spoken about here is a state uh, dealing with immaterial uh, perception, and then it's still in the field of samatha. It's still in the field of condition, of condition, and also it's still a, con a concept. So, you take something, you look at it, you remove it. There is nothing. So that nothingness is a concept. It's not coming from inside meditation. It's not coming by looking at the mind or, or, or objects, uh, material objects or whatever you are looking at and seeing their impermanence and the uh, non-essential uh, aspects of it where the real uh, uh, emptiness is coming. But this is just... Uh, uh, this is just a detail that uh, we have to remind ourselves because sometimes, uh, especially with these practices, you know, if we just do this Brahma Vihara, then uh, the mind becomes so peaceful that uh, we think, ah, now I am with God. Well, you know, this is this this can be. We can say we can think that this is the aim of our meditation. It's so peaceful. We feel we feel so contented. And then when it is associated also with nothingness or infinity of space and infinity of consciousness, it's so blissful that uh, we can think. Okay, now my work is done, and that's all what I was looking for in my meditation. Of course, we can stop there and then be happy with that. Uh, this will not be the final uh, destination. This will not be the final uh, fruit that uh, Buddhism is or the Buddha here is uh, talking about. So, uh, to come to the final liberation, 
for the complete uh, uh, the culmination of the not the culmination but the the complete the completion of uh, the practice would mean to uh, to include the insight that will allow us to see reality as it is just processes that are just changing and in regard to these processes then the mind gets aloof the mind gets quite detached and it's really a liberation that is based not on conceptual and conditioned uh, states of mind but a liberation that is based on seeing reality really as it is So now maybe I would like to follow up with uh, some of the questions that uh, we asked at the beginning. For example, is love natural or love conditioned? Here somehow with uh, these practices, we see that we we put in mind loving people, benefactors, and then we we condition ourselves to to be loving to neutral person and then also to enemies. And so in this case, love could be conditioned. But is there a state of mind where love comes without condition, without being uh, uh, stimulated or uh, directed in in specific ways? This is the question. So there is an interesting uh, text again with the text, you know, so I don't want to bother you with uh, theories, but uh, it is interesting because uh, it speak, it, it can make a little bit of a parallel. And the question that is, uh, the, the, the text actually is the, the Mahavidala, uh, it's in the Majimonikaya, and uh, it's the greater series of questions and answers. And uh, one question that was asked, and the, the, the question is asked to a lady, a monastic, huh? with, I think I forgot even her name. I think it's Dominga. No, I cannot see. Never mind. It doesn't matter. Uh, So you can look at the, at the book, you know, later on. But the question is the immeasurable deliverance of mind, huh? atpamanya. So the metta and all the brahmavihara, they are immeasurable. So these deliverance of mind, the del- and also the deliverance of mind through nothingness, the deliverance of mind through voidness, and the signless deliverance of mind, there is a way in which these states are different in meaning and different in name, and there is a way in which they are one in meaning and different only in name. So I will skip the details and uh, I will come just to the little small paragraph that may uh, may interest us. So the immeasurable deliverance of mind, huh? the, it is speaking about appamanya, cheto vimenti, for those who, who like to, to make uh, you know, the relation with the Pali. So appamado, that means no measurement. But also, appamado uh, is related to measure, and it is also related, it has the same uh, uh, root as mana, and mana is conceit. Uh, conceit, mana, everything that is related to the eye is a kind of conceit. So the conceit itself is or can be uh, equal to a type of measurement. So we are better than people or worse than people or equal to other people. So we are measuring and also here, uh, the, 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 the interesting point that is made is that uh, 
it speaks about somebody who has reached the goal huh? and uh, and uh, then he has also reached the, the the immeasurable deliverance of mind but it is a little bit different and the difference is that uh, it is immeasurable because not of the expansion of con- of the consciousness but simply because there is no more I there. And then the I is the measurement. And how is the I measured is by way of lust, hatred, and delusion. That's all. What is creating our little self, huh? that sense of survival that we have with fighting and then getting things and then pushing things away and all the self actually is a, is a source of, uh, of problems. So the conceit there is what we have to uh, understand. And then somehow, by this understanding, we have to, to be liberated from it. So, uh, so in a way, you know, in a way, if in ourself, we work to understand lust, hatred, and delusion, there's a kind of purity there. And then with that purity, there is a relaxing of the self. There is much less self-identification. And then when the self doesn't have that, uh, uh, how to say, congestion or that intensity, then it dissolves. So when there is no self, then you are everything somehow. The question also would be, okay, now I have to open my heart. It's like uh, you're in a house and you want to open your window. Fine. You want to open your door. Fine. But still you're in the house. So here we are speaking about being in a house, but actually you don't only open the windows and open the, the door. You just break off the walls. And then what's there? You are just... You are just the universe somehow. So anyway, it is just to say that uh, if we work to uh, to purify somehow these uh, uh, emotions or these uh, states of mind that are negative somehow, because they are bringing results that are not necessarily uh, uh, very good, right? not always uh, very positive actually, uh, if we work on that, then the fact of uh, not having lust or greed and uh, hatred and delusion, then the heart is pure. And then when the heart is pure, there is, there is no such things. Oh, I love you. Or I, I need to love people. I need to develop. Uh, uh, I, I need to develop the bummer and things like this. We become love itself because we are free. Of, uh, of interest. We don't want things from people. We don't want to push anything from, uh, from our life. So the mind is so clear that love naturally will come into our uh, being and then we will be love, you know, somehow because of, because of the purity. It's interesting also to see that uh, in the Abhidhamma uh, structure of explanation when, where, where they, they, they dissect uh, all the components of the mind, then uh, in the mental factors there, you have a category, like if you like, you can continue your studies, and I'm sure that many of you know already what I am talking about. So in the mental factors, that means a list of uh, classifi- classification that uh, ex- explain, uh, you know, that gives us a list of different mental factors, then the mental factors... Uh, you have you have a you have a category that is called the beautiful uh, states of mind or the beautiful mental factors. That means all of these things are just beautiful. Huh? And then among them, you have uh, compassion. Eventually, you know, compassion can be there, but not all the time. That means compassion needs to be triggered a little bit. And then the same thing with equanimity. It needs to be triggered because if you if the mind is very pure and 
you know, this is uh, according to lo the logic of their definition, then compassion and equanimity would not be there as the Brahma Vihara. But they don't speak about metta because metta there is simply the fact of having non-hatred. So non-hatred, adosa, is a mental factor that is part of the beautiful uh, mental factors of the mind. So when uh, the mind is without hatred, then love somehow would be there. So this morning, you know, just to be a little bit more practical, this morning, one of us was telling the group that uh, since uh, the practice, you know, the, the beginning of the retreat, the person has not, had never come across a uh, practice of metta. And then by having these instructions and then that uh, these suggestions and guidance, then by introducing that, to his practice, then he saw a big change. And this is true that uh, when we bring these practices in our life, in our practice, it makes a big uh, difference. Uh, you can remember whenever you have started to include that in your life, then you see that oh, everywhere you are, you can actually bring a little bit more quality. You can bring also a little bit more sweetness just by the, the fact of uh, thinking about that. And it's really... Uh, like a bicycle, uh, to have air in the tires is much better than to have no uh, uh, no air in the tire. And uh, the the text, you know, they tell uh, tells us that um, uh, it's really a, a way of practicing, and it can be very complete. So we should not think that, uh, and I'm sure you are not thinking that that. Uh, that uh, it's too artificial or too kind of rosy-rosy uh, or, I don't know, romantic or too sweety. And no, it's, it's a practice that enables us to bring much more quality to our life. That means uh, that has the possibility to improve our own uh, practice because we give care to what is happening to other people, to what is happening to ourselves, and then we want to understand more, you know. So uh, I think it's an it's it's an important quality for us to uh, uh, to remember to develop and just to incorporate. It's interesting, the other day I was discussing about conceit, you know, with a friend who is a, a meditator for a long time, and uh, uh, he's also acupuncturist. That means he's taking care of bodies, and uh, he knows uh, the, the, well, he is acquainted with the Chinese approach to medicine. And then he was telling me that uh, the eye, you know, the conceit that we have, can be diagnosed just by the pulse. So, so that means by the quality of our uh, rupa, huh, the qualities of our physical elements, we can perceive a certain density of, of I and me. And uh, of course, yeah? And, uh, you know, psychologists or neurologists will tell us that, you know, we have diseases that are psychosomatics. Huh? So whatever we maintain in the mind, any kind of emotions or thoughts, they have a reper reper repercussion on the body. So if we look at the body, then we can also know the qualities of the mind. But also uh, the thing is that uh, it gets encrusted there. So uh, the mind is always having an influence and then that influence is making, influencing the way that the body, the, the body kept, it keeps itself together. And uh, it's very interesting because uh, 
uh, it can it can change it can change like when we practice meta or you know research of course you know you may know that but the research the uh, they compare that maybe with uh, with the mother with with uh, milking the the her baby or or just a meditator and it's very similar that means when the mind is is in such a state then there is a kind of uh, dopamine or forgot i am always mixed up with <laughs> yeah dopamine okay so uh, so the mind stimulates uh, a kind of uh, or not hormone but a kind of chemical and then that chemical influences your whole body and then you feel kind of kind of not stone but well why not it's a little bit of a natural uh, ecstatic uh, stimulation that is just a part of our uh, system So yesterday, also in the in one of the meditation, I said, "Oh, when we are practicing, then at some point we see that there is nothing to get, and that there is nowhere to go." So somehow, this is true. Sometimes also we think, "Oh, actually, there is nothing to do." Oh, well, we are told also by teachers sometimes, "Oh, there is nothing to do." You are just there. And the point is that uh, regarding to nothing to do, this is true that we actually, there is nothing to get that will give us complete satisfaction. And there is no, nowhere to go where we will get completely satisfied. It has all to do with ourselves, with the mind. Huh? But uh, in regard to nothing to do, then the question is, is it a bit, uh, is a bit more uh, delicate. For sure, there is no pressure to do anything. Whatever we wish to do, then it's really up to us to decide and to see, well, I want to do that or, you know, I am doing that for such and such reason. So uh, life almost uh, asks us to do things. But in regard to uh, you know uh, the dilemma that can uh, uh, that can come with our meditation when we are told okay now we should not be attached and you know we should be uh, free from emotional involvement and caring so much you should be detached so is there nothing to do there and uh, like the Dalai Lama was uh, was saying when he was uh, speaking about that he was saying that actually attachment can be very good. So if we are attached somehow, that means we will try to do things for the people or for the beings that we are attached to. So it can be good. And without some kind of attachment, we will barely do anything. So since life is action, what and who makes us act is can be a question, but life is not the denial of our humanness and the record of our being, but the personification of it. You see now I am just reading a note and it's artificial. So I don't know if you note if you notice that. But the thing the thing is that uh, uh, by caring, you know, then we can uh, we we can we can uh, bring a little bit more of uh, spices in the in our life and keep a good uh, a good heart with a good motivation. So this morning there was a, a very interesting story that one of us uh, told us, and uh, you know it came to uh, to bring very uh, practical aspect to it. And he spoke about the workplace, uh, where we work. This is a challenging area sometimes. And then uh, he, he narrated the story of himself uh, at. At some point, he was working for a company. I don't know if he was a director or whatever, but uh, he employed uh, a man. Huh? 
And then the man that came to work for him eventually came to, I mean, he was, he wanted the job. He wanted this job. And then he was probably very cunning and then also very greedy for, to get his job. So it was so uh, challenging and then so, uh, you know, difficult to accept for, for that person that I don't know what was the reason exactly, but at some point he quit. He quit the job, right? And the other guy probably uh, got his job uh, somehow. You know? But uh, when he was outside this uh, working place and then he was reflecting about that guy, then the only thought that he had was <laughs> as soon as the, the, the guy came in his mind, then he just wanted to kill him. <laughs> so it can, it can come, you know, sometimes in, in our life where, where uh, we have people that, uh, that generate so much of uh, antagonism and uh, negativity that we just want to get rid of them, of him. So uh, uh, the story that he told, if I remember well, is that uh, he was joining a group. He was not yet uh, practicing meditation as such, but he had a group. Of friends, or and then uh, he was told, no, no, it's uh, don't make too much of a problem out of that, and uh, do some prayer. And then he said, he thought, well, do some prayer, right? So then he he, he thought, okay, now I'm going to pray. Huh? So he might not have had all the the experience, but still, his intention was to pray, and then he started to pray. Uh, I don't know if he put himself on the knees or, you know, doesn't matter, but he prayed. And uh, what he was uh, saying in his prayer, he, he was bringing that person into mind, and then he was wishing him well. And may you be happy, may you be successful, may you be peaceful. So somehow he was sending Meta to that person with whom he had enormous difficulties. And uh, after a while, what happened is that we don't know about the person, but uh, about him, is that uh, his consciousness uh, completely shifted. And then he became very peaceful with the person, with the image of the person. And uh, that problem was solved. He didn't want to. He understood and he had made peace with that. Huh? And then that peace that was uh, that came to his mind also brought brought, brought a, such a, a release that the consciousness kind of uh, he says you know uh, he says that well what is this you know just I feel love for the person I feel care and then my consciousness has changed and is that God huh? so maybe he had a kind of uh, uh, divine connection so. Whatever way we explain these phenomena, it is speaking about the human condition. And the human condition speaks about the, the, the mind that we have, and we all have the same mind with patterns that are animal, uh, very animalistic, primitive, and then patterns that are a bit more evolved, and also patterns of consciousness that are universal in the sense of you are out of the picture. You have nothing to do in that. It's bigger than yourself. So uh, this Brahma Vihara somehow connects us to this divine type of consciousness. Of course, we should not think, oh, no, I have all the time, I, I, all, all the time I need to be in these states of mind. But just to remind ourselves that uh, there are aspects of uh, life itself that bring a lot of wonder in the sense of uh, human possibilities. And if we want to change a society, you know, we were discussing with some friends also, that uh, if we want to change the modern society now, which is kind of uh, in a major crisis, of course, social new social values will have to be integrated, right? And then new understanding of how we work as community will have also to be adopted. But mostly, we have to deal with the consciousness of every individual. And this is why what we are doing is very valuable because we are trying to understand different aspects, different dimensions of our consciousness of which we all uh, participate, of which we are uh, very uh, similar. So, uh, so 
uh, I think our practice is very valuable. Another point also about, uh, you know, the working place. So yesterday a person wanted to, uh, I don't know for which reason, but uh, she was struck by the, when I, I said, you know, I refer to meditation practice as the, the Pali word, kamatana. So kamatana, I said that is a kamma, is action, and then tana is place. So it's a working place. So our meditation practice is, is, is like a work, but uh, uh, the similarities with the working place can also be uh, developed a little bit more. That means in our work, in our real work, in life, whatever it is, how do we approach it? How do we approach our work? What is our motivation? How do we start to work? So if you are working in an office, then it's quite good when you, t if you can, you know, hopefully you can, you, 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 you can have that, is that uh, when you arrive at your place of work, then you just settle there. You make space. Maybe you clean a little bit your desk if you have a desk or if you are in a kitchen, you just put the things in order. And uh, only after a while, when everything is settled, you start your work. So meditation also is the same thing. There is nothing that must be done. We have to be with what is now. So our mind is in a mess. So our life is in a mess. We are there. Then we put a little bit of order. Then, after that, we can bring some kind of uh, development. That uh, psychological kind of uh, uh, skillfulness, like they have that in, in Asia, it's very interesting, you know? Like, I'm just thinking about that. <laughs> because uh, if you go in some places in Asia, like uh, in Sri Lanka or in Burma, or, you know, or Thailand, uh, we look at people working and they have a lot of fun. And they don't care about the time. They come when they come and then they want to have a cigarette, they have a cigarette, they want to make a joke. And they kind of, uh, and then sometimes also we see, you know, you have, a, you have a four men. Of course, you have also women that are involved, you know, but uh, here in the case of men, I don't know if men are more lazy than, than women, by the way. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm not uh, suggesting any judgment. But uh, for example, in Sri Lanka, you have four men that are working. And what happens, you know, sometimes is you have only one guy <laughs> shoveling with the, <laughs> and then the, 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 the three other ones that just look at the person and, and just laugh and, you know, <laughs> at the smoke. And so, we can see, what well, are they lazy fellows? Are they working properly? And if you are told, like when the British or the colonizer went to some of these countries, they were very upset with them because they were not disciplined. And, uh, you know, they seem like, you know, hopeless guys, you know, they, they won't be able to do anything. But the thing is that they were very efficient. And then if you let them work at their own pace, they will be really good. So if you don't judge them and you look the way that uh, the work is proceeding with, uh, with the way they handle it, then it's, it's, it's much more healthy than uh, rigidity. Okay, now five o'clock, my work is off. No, it's not like that. Time is uh, when you work and you like your work, then uh, the interest brings you joy. Huh? So sati, dhamma, vichaya, viriya, piti. So can we have... Joy in work. If we have joy in work, uh, then it's not a work anymore. So same thing with the meditation. If we know how to be patient and then put the thing together, then also that factor is going to arise. Pity. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the, that comparison just came to my mind. But uh, nowadays, uh, you know, they studied and... They, 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 they try to figure out, okay, now what are the, the best conditions, the best working conditions that we can put to our company so that uh, uh, the work is more, the company is more effective. So, of course, they have 
they, they have come with some conclusion. And uh, even in Japan, you know, in big companies, and of course, uh, there where you are, uh, you have the Google at Silicon Valley and this kind of very sophisticated kind of approach, you know, very fancy. And uh, uh, the point here is that uh, uh, in some companies, they ask the workers to arrive half an hour before working. That means uh, if you start at nine o'clock, you have to be there at eight o'clock or 8.30, but you are going to be paid. You are going to be paid from 8.30 to 5.30 or 4.30, but you will not start your work before half an hour after you have arrived. That means you need to, you have arrived, so just arrive, take it easy, talk with your friend, make order in your paper, and then get ready for your day, and really take it easy, make it easy for yourself. So this is one scale, you know, that uh, psychologists uh, uh, included in their approach to how to stimulate a worker. But of course, for ourselves, it's different because, uh, well, it's somehow different because we have decided it's our own motivation and then we are working for our own company uh, and then we make our own value. So it's even more interesting, but still, you know, and by the way, also these companies, they have some companies, they have even uh, extended, uh, you know, the idea to, to, to give the possibility for people to have a nap in the, you know, at midday or so they have an area where they can have a nap. Can you, can you imagine? You are paid to have a nap, but uh, the, the uh, you know, the, um, the experiment shows that uh, if people have a, a nap for, you know, 15 minutes or half an hour, a little bit nap, uh, then it's like a refresh button and then you are much more efficient. So I think with our mind, it's a, it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit the same. So if we allow ourselves to be a bit more comfortable and to see for our needs, physical and mental needs, then we, we will somehow be more uh, we will be somehow having more quality with uh, what we are doing. So now we are speaking about work, and uh, I just remember, you know, when I was a teenager, they took uh, my parents, they took me to a Japanese restaurant, and then you see these guys, you know, they are so fast, and they cook in front of you. So it's amazing to see the skills they have, you know, they take the knife, and then they, they, they can cut uh, uh, maybe a dozen carrots, very precisely, but uh, in half a minute or something, and then they don't cut themselves. <laughs> so... Uh, the thing, like I read, I didn't know, I didn't go to Japan, uh, but uh, what, uh, what I know uh, as a theory is that uh, if you want to learn to be a cook in the Japan kitchen, you have to be there, you have to go there for training, and then you are not allowed to touch a knife before one year. And what do you do? You do the dishes, and then you do all kinds of manual job with the, with, with the professional cooks. Also, you are there, you look at the, how they are doing their work and you settle really in the place and then you learn by looking, you learn by observing and then you do things that are basically very important because if our dishes are not clean, we may cook the best thing. It's not going to be very uh, appetizing. Huh? Uh, so... Uh, Somehow, also in our meditation, you know, like uh, sometimes it takes years to see the, the to see benefits that are really obvious, hmm? and uh, sometimes you know, especially at the beginning, it's 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 kind of difficult. It's very challenging, and we feel that uh, uh, we are always doing the dishes, and then again, you know, just deal with all that stuff and that pain and that. Uh, confusion in the mind well you know we have to learn by the doing the dishes so if we are not able to bring some order or at least some kind of clarity with our mind then the the, the, the further development are going to be very difficult so the basic aspect of meditation is just to put order in the mind and also in what we do order in our life and uh, that all of that has to do with kamatana, that means the working place.
So now I will stop, uh, you know, giving you suggestions and uh, because you are on your, you are your own teacher. You learn by yourself and uh, you can get ideas from books or from people, but eventually you have to make your own cooking. Huh? And then I think you are quite a proficient cook already. So I will end up somehow here. And I will come back to the question. I'm ending up by beginning again. The question that I asked at the beginning. Can we be more loving in our life? And love is based on a relationship. So how do we relate? Hmm? Did we get closer to that in our practice just by relating to ourselves? How do we relate, first of all, with the self, with my perceptions, my weakness, uh, my difficulties, all of that? How do we relate to self? So the way we relate to self will influence a lot the way we are going to relate to other people. So, can we love more? It has to start with ourselves. And then it has to start with uh, understanding a little bit more about all of that. So how do we do that? It is just by listening observing, and then also to adjust ourselves, to keep some balance with our observation. And the response, or what comes out of that immediate encounter with reality, is a response. So we are there. We are fully there with care and we respond with responsibility. So we can put love as one of the main motivating factors in our life. Love a little bit as an emotion, as a motivation and part of a movement, the movement of life. Life is action, and uh, it's all up to us to choose the way we are going to act. And it depends greatly on the quality of our mind. So, thank you for listening, and, well, it's never-ending. We are still doing the things and we are still together. to ring the bell, you know, just to make it official. <laughs> so, it's good to see you, and uh, just go on, and we'll see you this evening. <laughs>